Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Heart of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Hallie Tecco. Not only is this our very first episode of 2024, but it's also our 100th episode and my first episode running the show completely independently. It's just me and my editor and engineer, Kyle Moore. Thank you so much for tuning in over the last two and a half years. Because of you all, the show will go on. But if I can ask just one favor, it would mean so much to me if you took just a few seconds to leave the show a five-star review. It helps the show grow and reach more people. So it's 2024, and I'd love to do an episode on 2024 healthcare predictions. What do you think this year has in store for us? Where do you think healthcare is going in the next 12 months? I would love to hear from you please reach out on my website or social media, and I will include you in the next episode. Today, I wanted to do more of a look back at 2023. I'll start by sharing a recap of last year and then share some of the key findings from the 2023 funding report Rock Health just released. And then we'll end by talking about the terms digital health and healthcare IT. What's the difference or do they just mean the same thing? So let's get started on the 2023 recap. Last year was a doozy. First, there was the great unwinding of Medicaid. At least 13 million people, 37% of them children, were disenrolled from Medicaid in 2023, according to KFF. Why? Well, in April, Congress stopped the COVID-era policy that let people remain on Medicaid without interruption to help ensure that people had coverage during and through the pandemic. States were given 14 months to reevaluate eligibility for Medicaid, or the Children's Health Insurance Program, CHIP. At least 13 million people were disenrolled in 2023. We know Medicaid serves the most vulnerable Americans. So what happened to them? According to KFF, which does excellent reporting on healthcare, go to kff.org. I highly recommend following them. In the year following a disenrollment for Medicaid, roughly two-thirds of people had a period of uninsurance. Many of them were made uninsured. But four in 10, about 41% of people who were disenrolled, did eventually re-enroll in Medicaid or CHIP within a year. And others found different sources of coverage. We have Medicaid, which we saw this big disenrollment, which aids the poor or disenrolls them. 
And then there's Medicare, which cares for the elderly. And that's how I always remember it. Someone taught me that years ago, Medicaid aids the poor, Medicare cares for the elderly. And last year, for the first time, more than half of Medicare beneficiaries, 30.8 million people, enrolled in Medicare Advantage, really solidifying the quiet shift in the privatization of Medicare. Also known as Medicare Part C, Medicare Advantage is an alternative to original Medicare Part A and Part B offered by private insurance companies that are approved by Medicare. United Healthcare and Humana account for nearly half of all Medicare Advantage plans. These plans combine the coverage of hospital insurance and medical insurance and often include additional benefits not covered by government original Medicare. These things can be routine vision, dental, hearing, and wellness. This shift towards privatized management of Medicare benefits has some folks alarmed. Wendell Potter, who was on the Heart of Healthcare podcast last year, great episode, highly recommend listening to it if you missed it pointed out, he says, Medicare Advantage is neither Medicare nor an advantage. But the truth is the jury is still out. A review of published research on the topic found very few differences between Medicare Advantage and traditional Medicare that are supported by strong evidence or have been replicated across multiple studies. And then we saw some moves in private insurance. The average annual premium for employer-sponsored family health insurance plans rose by 7% year over year in 2023, higher than inflation, hitting nearly $24,000. This marked jumped. This marked a jump from 2022 when there was almost no increase in premiums. So on average, employees contributed a record $6,575 annually to their family health insurance premiums, about $500 more than 2022. That's a lot. And it's looking like this is going to worsen in 2024 because nearly one in four employers plan to raise employee contributions in the next two years. Next, we cannot talk about 2023 without discussing GLP-1 medications like Ozempic that became a household name last year. On the 10-year anniversary of obesity being designated as a chronic disease by the AMA, and after decades, if not centuries, of dubious pills and potions for weight loss, we may have actually found a silver bullet for weight loss. Okay, it is... More complicated than a simple cure-all, but medical research has shown promising results from the use of GLP-1 agonists for weight loss, and patients want in. Over 40% of Americans have obesity, and apparently 1.7% of Americans were prescribed a semaglutide medication in 2023, up 40-fold over the past five years. Science even named GLP-1 agonists as the 2023 breakthrough of the year. Digital health startups Roe, Noom, and Everlywell began online weight management programs in 23, including shipping these medications directly to a patient's home. Even legacy weight loss brand Weight Watchers launched Weight Watchers GLP-1 program, but only after the CEO apologized for past mistakes in marketing that shamed people struggling with obesity. 
But the rise of GLP-1 meds was not all rosy. Many users and patients faced unpleasant side effects, and the surge in popularity led to drug shortages that impacted other people who need GLP-1s, like those living with diabetes. Of course, another huge trend in 2023 was generative AI. In January of 2023, the beginning of the year, one year ago, ChatGPT made headlines when it announced it performed at or near the passing threshold of 60% accuracy on the United States medical licensing exam. By March, it was up to 85% accuracy. This feels like so long ago, and ChatGPT has gotten so much better since then. But in another study out in April, a panel of licensed healthcare professionals compared physician responses to health questions on Reddit to ChatGPT replies. The panel actually preferred ChatGPT's response 79% of the time and rated the AI bot's responses as higher quality and more empathetic. Of course, these are physician responses on Reddit, so they do not represent how a physician uh, performs and talks to patients one-on-one, but I do think it's a really fascinating study. And while some providers are skeptical or have been skeptical of generative AI, an AMA survey published in November, so just two months ago, found that two-thirds of providers say there is an advantage to using AI in medicine, with the most popular use cases being documentation of billing codes, medical charts, or visit notes and automation of insurance preauthorization. The survey also found that over one in five providers use ChatGPT already in their professional life, and a third of them are using it in their personal life. This is really remarkable, and I do think we are shifting from a place where everybody's saying AI is going to replace a doctor to AI is going to augment clinicians. And in fact, someone said AI is for augmented intelligence, and I really love that. Finally, last year, one of the biggest trends, unfortunately, was around funding. After digital health hit record highs in 2021, fueled by the pandemic and a shift to virtual care, things really started to cool off in 2022, the second half of 2022, and truly worsened in 2023 for founders, those that are seeking VC capital, as well as those looking to go public. Publicly traded companies digital health companies saw an average share price decline of 28% since 2018, while other indices and legacy healthcare companies, they really enjoyed growth and share price over that same period of time. This is from a Bessemer report that um, I had Steve on the podcast and we went over maybe a month or two ago. And as of December 31st, 2023, at least 17% of public digital health companies trading on NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange were non-compliant with listing standards, having traded at or below a dollar for over 30 consecutive business days. We had zero digital health companies go public last year. Meanwhile, five already delisted. So today, Rock Health published the 2023 funding report This is a report we started so many years ago. It was actually my husband's suggestion to me, um, and the team has been putting it together for so many years. And it's cool to see how over a decade's worth of data on funding in the space really tells a story. 
So here are the biggest takeaways from the most recent report. There were 492 deals making up 10 billion raised in U.S.-based digital health companies, which is down 30% year over year and the lowest amount of capital invested in the space in the last four years. This is not surprising because venture dollars are down across the board, across most industries. I can't think of an industry where it wasn't down. And if you talk to any founders They know this, right? We know that those who were out there fundraising often struggled, and especially those who raised larger rounds or seed rounds in 2021 at higher valuations who have not yet grown into their valuation. Those folks struggled this year. They either had to take massive down rounds, extension rounds, they saw a lot of silent deals from existing investors who kind of help them stay afloat until they can figure things out. And a lot of companies just cut costs enough to make it to 2024. We knew that there was not a lot of M&A activity last year. It was also down. But despite the tightening capital availability, despite no public, uh, no new IPOs, and despite a sluggish exit market, there really wasn't a pronounced spike in startup shutdowns year over year. The Rock Health report predicts that 2024 will be the year, quote unquote, startups face the music and that these shifts really can set up our sector for brighter days ahead. A smaller cohort of stronger players, synergies through consolidated offerings and a more successful IPO class. 2024 really was hard for a lot of founders, and I just have to say onwards and upwards in 2024. Finally, to close out this episode, I wanted to share a question and some responses I got on X Twitter. What, if any, is the difference between healthcare IT and digital health? A lot of folks chimed in that the difference between the two terms lies in the business model. And for tools and apps paid for and used by healthcare organizations that are B2B, that would be what they consider health IT. And for products that consumers pay for, that would be digital health. So in this definition, a company like Viva, the $30 billion publicly traded cloud-based software for life sciences company, would be considered healthcare IT. And a company like Hims and Hers, the nearly $7 billion publicly traded telehealth company that sells prescription drugs online, would be digital health. The word infrastructure also came up a lot related to health IT, with anything patient-facing being considered digital health. Some suggestions people gave for how to differentiate the two was front-end versus back-end, patient-facing versus provider-facing, outside the hospital walls versus inside, infrastructure versus apps, servicing the patient versus servicing the provider, the health of the individual versus the health of the balance sheet. Here's what I think. There's not really a difference in these terms other than when they were popularized. The term healthcare IT was born in an era where B2B business models dominated and The whole concept of direct-to-consumer healthcare businesses was just a blip on the horizon. So I really think there's no wonder we associate healthcare IT with B2B, healthcare infrastructure companies. 
At the same time, the term digital health was popularized during a time when exciting new healthcare products and business models were being introduced, thanks to record levels of venture funding, and so is more associated with products built in the last five to 10 years. Some folks still hold on to the term healthcare IT, perhaps out of habit or maybe because it resonates with a time when we were just beginning to explore the potential of technology in healthcare. But here's the thing. Whether we call it healthcare IT or health tech or digital health, it's really not the terminology that's going to move the needle in healthcare. What matters is the work we're doing, building new tools to fundamentally change our healthcare system for the better. I always say the best part of working in healthcare is the people. Our sector, whatever you want to call it, attracts the smartest, most passionate innovators looking to put their talents to good use. Whether it's developing sophisticated backend infrastructure systems to streamline provider workflows or crafting user-friendly apps that empower patients, every contribution moves us in the right direction. So call it what you want, and let's just get back to work. I wish you all an incredible 2024. Thanks for tuning in. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.